CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome back to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, and Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. He covers the Bills. And coming to us from Canada, where he is covering the Canadiens Golden Knight series for the Associated Press, its longtime wow. friend of TGAF, John Worrell. Thanks for doing this, John. How you doing, guys? I'm, I'm finishing my last day of self-quarantine up here in Canada in Windsor, Ontario. And then you're off to Montreal. Off to Montreal tomorrow. Can't wait. Well, and I know you've been covering the series uh, as you can, as the as the uh, the series was about to start, and then the games that have happened so far. And we'll get into that. Um, you've been pretty busy, uh, even though you're off covering hockey. You've been writing Bills stories. Uh, you're monitoring the Sabers, uh, some women's hockey coverage uh, that's percolating. Um, what? Signing LeBron Steen to, to, to go cover the Blue Jays in Buffalo. Well, that's yes. big. It yep. takes a lot of days of work. What um, – maybe pun is intended. I don't know. How many balls are you juggling there, John? A lot. Uh, I, I joked with my editor that uh, I got uh, – as we were talking about this women's hockey story that that we're hearing about, I, I can't, really can't get into the details, that um, I, an email popped into my email box, your, your stress – Free summer starts here. I wanted to really click on that because, uh, yeah, I've got a few balls in the air, but that's that's the nature of the business. And that's there's no slow season, especially in COVID times, because everything's just so jam-packed together. But And the Sabres continue to make things interesting. Well, you're a good person to ask this because I wonder, as I've been watching these uh, Yankees-Blue Jays games at Salem Field, um, you know, you can uh, – you can probably debate the best way for local media to cover these games. Um, if they are just, you know, diversions, uh, if we should be covering them as though we have covered the Yankees and the blue Jays all along as, as some have, as though, as though we're still going to be covering the blue Jays when they leave town or whatever team that comes through. Um, but you have to cover them. I mean, you yes. being the Associated Press, you have to cover them just as uh, your New York writer would cover them at Yankee Stadium, as the Cubs writer at Wrigley Field. Um, what is your sense of how significant these games are, meaning that there's an added Buffalo angle to it beyond Buffalo? And I guess the way I'm asking the question is, does it only matter in Buffalo that these games are in Buffalo? Or, or what? I know. I, I get. I get what you're saying, which is why I did the opener, um, the, the the second opener back on June 1st, 
because there's just so much uniqueness, still some uniqueness to it, to the, the Jays relocating from Dunedin and then coming to Buffalo, you know, for the second time to their, their, their adopted home. And, and the fact that there was finally fans who could actually watch them play in person. Um, so, but, you know, aside from that first game, from that, you know, you set up the whole thing about, you know, hey, the Jays are back in Buffalo. Really, from a writing perspective, there's not much difference than whether we were there, we were we were covering them in Cincinnati, or in Toronto, or in New York City, or what have you. It just becomes another game. Um, the references towards the fact that they're in their adopted home become fewer and fewer. Um, that's just the way it, because people know, and people who care know, and people who well. People who want to read the story probably know know about this. You know, you work in maybe some quirks. You work in the fact that, you know, the Yankees in town, how, um, you know, Buffalo is still a big Yankees market. And I could see that from just, I I actually get a chance to watch the Blue Jays on TV up here in in Windsor because, you know, we we get them on Sportsnet. So it, the night, the, the cool thing was from an, from a Buffalo perspective, being in Canada was actually seeing my hometown once again on TV from my where I grew up, um, and seeing you know the the 190 in the background and 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 and, and um, just all those familiar fixtures that you see and and the granaries and the that parking lot which really the, the parking ramp which really stands out and makes things look ugly, but it was just quaint to see you know Buffalo you know, while, I, while I'm here, where, where people in Buffalo can't see this game on TV because of the stupid MLB rights. So um, to make a long story short or shorter, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it, there's a uniqueness to it. But as, as the series has progressed, uh, it's just another game. You know, there's some irony. You just said something there that uh, has never come up and all the beers that we've had, and you think it would, especially when we start, you know, getting a little later into the evening and, and things uh, – Things get a little, you know, strange with the, and any topic as possible. Um, you just said to make a long story short, which I find ironic because oh, your sorry. job is to make long stories short. And yet you don't in real life. <laughs> and but I'm, I'm saying that because I'm going to insult myself because I'm the same way. But at least my job is to make a short story long. Uh, so that's kind of what I do. You, you live like an alternate life when you're speaking as opposed to writing. I do. I do. I'm a gabber. I like to go off topic and segues and whatever comes into my head seems to pop out of my mouth. And that's, uh, that, that's my, that's my endearing quality. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was just, um, interested in the idea or exploring the idea as to how much of an event this really is. And I think that it's cool when baseball games are played at unusual sites, like, uh, you know, the, the field of dreams in Iowa or Fort drum, I think, was that the military base that it was, the games were played at maybe five or six years ago, major league baseball had, they were on, they were on a base. They play at um, Cooperstown uh, once a year. Cooperstown. Yeah. I mean, that's, but you know, I, I just was curious as to whether or not Buffalo really resonates as a cool little story outside of here. I think if you're a local, you, 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 treat them a little bit more uniquely because you know you're not going to be picking them up as the season progresses but 
you know, nationally, I mean, there's a uniqueness to it, but you have to cover major, you know, my job is to cover major league baseball. My job is to cover the NHL, not just the Sabres or the, you know, the NFL when it comes to just covering the bills. My job is to, to, to put it in, in, into perspective and, you know, but you don't want to be repetitive and, and write the same story all over again. Oh, by the way, the Blue Jays are in Buffalo. Well, you know, people should know that. One more irony. Uh, I don't want to keep hogging the conversation here, but one more irony is that uh, Canada is not known uh, for uh, its sunbathers, I'm guessing. Um, and yet of the four people on this call, uh, the only one who is not incredibly white is John Worrell. He's up there getting some sun. He has some uh, actual complexion, whereas the rest of us, if we were any whiter, we'd be translucent. <laughs> what do you mean by incredibly? Like you just cannot believe how white I am? Not, no, I, I, um, to, a, to the highest degree, uh, to the highest degree of paleness. I've gotten some sun. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been outside covering practice. I, I mean, You've done a good job covering your face. But you wear that Wearing hat, a hat. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I wear sunscreen. I mean, got to protect protect myself. But I have gotten sun. I don't believe in sunscreen. It's an, it's an interesting. Is that because of uh, the new baseball rules and the sticky stuff? Yes, yes. Sunscreen and <laughs> oh, rosin. I thought, I thought he, I thought he needed to do more research on it before making up his mind. I've done some research. It. I think that. It depends on the sunscreen. There's different kinds of ingredients, but some ingredients might do more harm than good. And the sun is actually good for you. You really shouldn't be blocking all of the sunlight that, you know, you can get on your skin and your face and your shoulders and arms. Would you suggest I, I would be better served getting sunburns because they are extremely no, Well, you do want to avoid sunburn. So you want to get enough sun without it being too much sun. And doing things like a hat or long sleeve are better ways to keep the sun off your skin than the sunscreens. The sunscreens absorb into your bloodstream and might mutate your genes. And I, you know, some people, I don't know if you know anybody, I know people in my family that have gotten sun, skin cancer. I don't know why I'm laughing. They wear sunscreen every day of their life and still got skin cancer because some of those ingredients are, you know, carcinogenic and may not actually keep the sun from doing its damage. And it's debatable whether the sun really causes skin cancer. Anyway. It mutates your genes, you're saying. <laughs> gene mutation is something that happens with a lot of different substances that you eat or put on your body. And it's a, it's no. a, one of these things that's not like processed food, the sunscreen industry, the SPF industrial complex is a little bit out of control and, and you don't need to slather on SPF 4550 every time you go outside the house. You do well, know I we're do. recording, right? What Tim said, we were freewheeling today. And well, I, I I do know that when I you know uh, you know doctors do. Uh, I'm told that doctors oh, in Buffalo doctor. and in like northern climes, you know, be it um, do prescribe a lot more vitamin D because we, we're not getting enough. You know, when it comes to being up here, because just the lack of sun. Yeah, that's part of it. And think about it. what animals put on sunscreen. None, and they all go and seek out the sun. It's a come <laughs> Big sunscreen might be watching this, this episode. So yeah, you better, we, we, we need to get this back on the rails. How many well, I, I try not to ask sunscreen. I try not to ask people. How many? Name one. Name one. <laughs> You're right. How many animals use 93 who... octane gasoline? I don't think we need to. I think 89 is fine. Yeah. yeah. I try not to ask people who put on sunscreen because that's a personal choice. So. 
Right. Well, I, I've chosen to protect myself with sunscreen. Well, and that's fine. Perhaps I'll have to reevaluate that now that Joan has brought some new information to my attention. There might be but new protocols. I'm not anti-sunscreen, but I don't use it because I don't like the way it feels. And uh, I am... It, I am a sweater. I, and if I get out there and it just turns into a mess. So I just look for shade. I'm always in the smells, shade. smells like chemicals. I like the way it smells. Actually. I like that. Yeah. It smells like um, vacation. It smells like relaxation and reminds me of being on vacation on the beach somewhere. It smells like just the a ocean. Brief Kramer. Yeah. John, what are your, uh, updated thoughts since we haven't uh, spoken to you for a little bit uh, regarding the Sabres coaching search, or I should say coaching vacancy. Let's leave it uh, as wide open as possible. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I'm told things are progressing, but how quickly they're progressing um, uh, remains to be seen. I know there's nothing we thought that maybe things might shake out a little bit faster, especially now that Rod Brindamore this morning officially signed that contract extension. I don't think there's something, you know, don't hold your breath. This is something happening over the next day or so. I know I get into trouble when I say that um, because I'm not anticipating anything while I'm traveling. Um, things have been progressing. There have been Out of talks. respect for your schedule, you think? What, out, out, of respect, out of respect for your schedule, the Sabres aren't going to do anything while you're traveling? I have actually asked about that. So, but uh, I've asked people about that. And I'm told I should be fine with my drive tomorrow. So, so that's why I say don't hold your breath. But that's that that that's essentially where that is. But I know there have been a number of interviews. Um, one of the people that weren't interviewed was Gerard Gallant. Um, there was a sense among hockey circles that. Um, the Sabres, well, the Sab he didn't, he didn't talk to the Sabres. The Sabres were on this list because there was a sense once he came back from the world championships that he already had, um, a job lined up and the guessing was either Seattle or the Rangers and he wound up with the Rangers. So there's that, but you know, guys like Nate Lehman, uh, I believe the Buffalo new, uh, from Providence, the, the, the Providence coach, the Buffalo news has reported that, uh, the Swedish national team coach ha has interviewed, um, Grun and, but, in the big picture, Don Granado still still remains firmly in the mix from everything that I've been told over the past week. Um, and there, there's still a, a firm belief that he is among the final candidates. Um, um, and I think the, the Sabres, there was a report, and I believe this too, uh, I haven't confirmed it, but the Sabres were looking to talk to um, the former Islanders coach who's now an assistant with the Ottawa Senators, uh, Campo, Jack Capuano, but for some reason, the senators have blocked that interview, which is a bit surprising. So I do know that there were other people that the Sabres wanted to talk to over the past week and nothing has come up unless that's some, some of that's changed. So I'm expecting something next week, perhaps, uh, but nothing on the imminent horizon for however you want to say that. I still think Don Granado is the best choice here, given all the candidates. Uh, Rick Tockett. Um, I believe spoke with, uh, interviewed with the, the Sabres. I've lost track because I'm in self-quarantine. He was in Buffalo about a week or two weeks ago. I'm not sure. So, but I still think Don Granado is the guy because he's most familiar with this team, has gotten the most out of this team. And if you're watching the playoffs, you're looking at what Dominic Ducharme has done with the Montreal Canadiens. And I, I, I see comparables between the two because they're both 
unproven head coaches who have worked their way up through the junior and a, uh, you know, minor ranks and they're getting, they, they've got a pulse of their team and seem to know how to get the most out of it. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm still, I still think that it should be Don Grano's job to lose. What happens first? The Sabres hire a coach or they trade Jack Eichel? I was wondering that myself. Um, I, do the two matter? Are they connected in any way, or, or do you think it's think just a matter I, of happenstance? Which one happens first? I, I think it's a matter of happenstance. Um, yeah, the Jack Eichel stuff is heating up, but um, I, I don't think the two are connected, uh, at, the, at the very least. It doesn't seem that the Pagulas or Kevin Adams uh, are interviewing the types of coaches, uh, like a Mike Babcock, for instance, who would want to have say in something like that or to make it a requisite of, look, I'm not taking the job unless I can have some sort of, you know, say on Jack Eichel and the trade and things like that. These are, these are the types of coaches that want to be a head coach. Well, obviously when you're talking about the Buffalo Sabres, you're talking about guys who are willing, just, they just want to be a coach uh, or else if they had options, they probably wouldn't be looking in Buffalo. I would have been curious to see what, well, the stakes would grow, would have grown greatly higher had Rod Brindamore not come to an agreement with the Carolina Hurricanes. He would have been the top person on the market, and it would have been a bidding war. He, the, belief would, the belief would be he'd, he'd be landing in Seattle um, unless the Sabres would have to overpay. So that's an interesting question um, to raise. Uh, but I do think that the Sabres might have some, a small edge in the fact that Kevin Adams and Brenda Moore know each other. So there's that personal relationship and whether the two could work together. But then again, Rod Brenda Moore also knows Ron Francis. Um, but it would have been interesting to see what happened there. But I, I agree with you. And I think, I, I still think the coach that comes into Buffalo uh, to coach the Sabres needs to put his foot down in regards to how much say um, he and the, and Kevin Adams have on the roster. I, I just don't know how clear, I don't know how clear that's been in the past. And I just think that there's been some pushback or emphasis from ownership to make certain deals. Um, and, but I, I think that Kevin Adams and, and the next coach need to have the same symbiotic relationship that's hard to find that McDermott and Bean have. What's your sense of how, how, how I guess both the Jack Eichel situation, how both the Jack Eichel situation and Jack Eichel impact how attractive this job is? Like are, are coaches around the league worried about the situation or as Tim mentioned, is there a guy that's like, I want to coach Jack Eichel, or perhaps there's somebody who's intrigued by the hall that Jack Eichel could return. I think that's what made Buffalo not a, a landing spot for Gerard Gallant. He wanted something more established and especially something more um, sound um, as far as history goes. And um, it's a good starting point to have Chris Drury and, 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 as the new GM and Gallant being his choice starting together. Um, I think that made the Rangers a lot more attractive. I think it makes, makes Seattle a lot more attractive. 
Um, so I, I think there is a hesitancy that, you know, Buffalo just can't get its act together. I'm not sure if it's the Eichel thing to a degree. I just think it's the spotty history and the lack of continuity and how helter-skelter the whole situation has been with no coach lasting, you know, two seasons um, since Lindy Ruff um, was on board. I say this knowing how many of these things you've covered in both <laughs> sports. Um, is this the most unattractive coach coaching opening that you've ever covered? Oof. Well, I don't know. And I, I'm not I, saying um, from actually, your perspective, more no, from, so from, from the what? league perspective, from, from the, from the candidates, less so maybe than from in terms of public perception and within the league perception, obviously we could sit here and debate, um, you know, which if there was a bills or Sabres opening, that was less attractive at some point, but um, there was a bills opening that was less attractive. And that's why they hired Dick Duran. That's also when they hired Shane Gailey, there was a lot of perception that big names were turning them down and buddy Nix had to come in and say, he had to come out and kind of talk against that. That What did he say? You know, even Oakland, even people want to coach in Oakland and Buffalo, something John, I told John that, uh, see, this is uh, when you interview a guy from the Associated Press, he had to take a call. So uh, we're going to mute him there. Maybe the, uh, the Dick Duran hire, though, you know, I would just mention Dick Duran at least was a former coach of the year when he was with the Chicago Bears. Um, I don't know who the candidates were, but when they hired Chan Gailey, that was the that was the time that Russ Brandon said they were shooting for the moon. And you were talking about Bill Cowher uh, being interviewed and. Uh, Mike Shanahan uh, being offered the job and almost accepting it. And there were a handful of others. Uh, were Harbaugh, they, wasn't he in that mix? John Gruden, uh, when he was with Monday Night Football. Yeah, there were a lot of names. And I think the fact that they kept getting rejected by all these big names uh, was um, really kind of hammered home to the fan base that uh, – that this was uh, not a job anybody wanted. And then when Chan Gailey got it, and that's the thing that I think really hurt Chan Gailey at the beginning of his tenure was the letdown from the fan base. Chan Gailey as respected as he was and what he did for the Steelers. And, um, you know, he had been a, a very good offensive coordinator, probably deserving of, uh, of the opportunity. Jerry Jones called it one of the uh, biggest regrets of his uh, ownership. Um, uh, was that he fired Chan Gailey because he probably should have kept the job, uh, Jerry Jones was saying. Uh, so, but I had written at the time when I was at ESPN that uh, the Buffalo Bills went to Ruth's Chris for dinner and ordered the grilled cheese uh, because they were talking about they were just going hot and heavy for massive names, Super Bowl winners, guys who might be in the Hall of Fame someday. And then they roll out Chan Gailey on, on New Year's Day. If they go with Don Granado, even if that's a wise and hockey-based, well-thought-out decision, won't it look like they couldn't get anybody else and they had to take the, the in-house coach that really couldn't say no to him? It might look well, like I think with Don Granado, it's, it could be a situation where the, the Bills could e – or, the excuse me, the Sabres could easily sell that as – and I've, I've said this a number of times on the podcast, they could sell that as we had the guy, let me look what he did. And so they don't even have to say they, they could, they could come out of this by saying he, what we interviewed all these other people. And we are now even more convinced 
that he's the man for the job. Yeah, well, they could say that, but will everybody buy that? Will perception be that that was what happened? I think we're at the point where where the Bills are, where the, where the Sabres have to prove it. I, I, I don't think – I think the Sabres can bring in Mike Babcock or Toe Blake, and I think he's going to have – there will always be questions about this team. I think people have questions about Sean McDermott, um, a lot of questions about him. Um, but I, I think it's time. It, it, it's going to come down to this group, the coach, the general manager, the ownership, proving it that they can win. We're at that point. No matter who they bring in, it's going to have questions about them. I have I breaking news, though. Yeah, what's this? Break it. Well, uh, that's, and sorry for uh, – I can only say – that it looks like the timeline on a coaching search, the coaching decision for the Sabres is going to be, is it, it was it was supposed to be around uh, in, in July, and now it looks like we may have something within the week. Huh. Hmm. How about that? That's, That's all news. I can say. That was the call. I just got, I just got a call. I guess uh, somebody's ears were buzzing. It's good news. Uh, well, when I say it's good news, it's uh, when I say it's good news is get it over with so we can all enjoy our July, which is when most Buffalo media members uh, can can go on vacation uh, right before Bills camp starts. So the longer into July you go, um, hey, you know what you want we your do coach. Have the draft. Yeah, don't you want your coach in 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 this in that seat for the draft, or does that matter? Well, no, you do, but um, the belief was it was going to be early July. The draft isn't until like the 23rd of July. Is the the pandemic and the travel restrictions with the border and people traveling from Canada to the U.S. affecting the process? Was it slowing it down and maybe it's accelerating now that some of those rules are, we think, going to change? That I've not heard of, and I'm not aware of anybody that the – Sabres have spoken to that are who is from Canada so I'm not sure if that played a factor I think it's either been um and 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 obviously you could do a lot of zoom calls and stuff um and talk it was in town some of the coaches some of the U.S. based coaches have come to town I'm not sure where I believe it's Kronberg who's the Swedish coach I'm not sure if that was a zoom call I'm not sure what the Buffalo News reported on that um but we're getting down to the short straws in the sense that um, we're now approaching the point where their interviews going to be happening, happening with ownership. And those are going to be taking place in Florida. On the yacht. Pardon me? I said on the yacht, super yacht. You're goddamn right. It's going to be on the yacht. If you want us, although trying to convince Don Granado to take the job versus a, a Mike Babcock, you know, you don't need – do you need to really roll out the yacht for Don Granado? Probably not. If you want to throw it. It's a good place to go. <laughs> also probably uh, – Go to Bojangles weird, for chicken sandwich. I'd say there's a weird financial component there, right, of it's been, you know, thought that they'll try to pinch pennies and cut corners and, you know, they've really squeezed the hockey operation as a whole, but then you're going to try to woo one of the – main pieces of your hockey operation by sitting on the yacht You're like see what all that uh but see what all those budget cuts see what it, what it got us got you this nice interview you'll probably well, be that... on here once a year but but th this is this is the end game this is why we're this is why we're trying to save some money that is a great point uh i have eight scouts but you have 12 people working on this yacht uh, making sure that your dinner is going to be ready 
yeah, if you're Mike Babcock and, you know, they're trying to woo you on the yacht, but they're also trying to get you. Can, a little bit can of we discount. stop for a second? And can we properly say super yacht from now on? You're trying to woo Mike Babcock on the super yacht. And he said, but you're also trying to get him to take a little bit of a, a discount on the salary. He's going to look around and say, what the hell for? Now you take him to Bojangles uh, and get him a chicken sandwich. He'll be like, wow, these guys are, they're having a tough time. And it's the choice of soup or yacht. Right. <laughs> oh, I, I bet that Mike Babcock would have. I bet Mike Babcock would leap, leap at this job right now because he wants so much back into the business. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a diminished product right now. He needs to rehabilitate himself. Um, he failed on the largest stage. His players turned against him, and the whole thing. Um, while we're still on the Sabers, though, before we talk about some NHL uh, topics, and most notably the the series uh, between the Canadians and the Golden Knights. Um, we've already talked about the Eichel trade in general, as it would apply to the coaching search, but what are you hearing on that, John? On the Eichel trade, I'm, um, they've had talks. My, I have no insight on what the result of the talks were, but based the injury and the trade are, two, are, are totally two separate things, I believe. We would have gotten to this point, whether he hurt his disc, neck, or any other part of his body, um, that there was a push on to trade Jack Eichel shortly after Kevin Adams' arrival. And I think the rumors that we heard, the speculation that we heard, that Bob McKenzie actually went out of his way and, ta- and, 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 and confirmed the fact that the Sabres weren't shopping Jack, but they were listening. This was going back to September, that the belief was, even back then, they've been looking for it. They, they've been offering Jack Eichel for quite some time. Um, so whether he got hurt or not, I think we'd be at this point, and maybe he would have been traded by now had it not been for the whole injury kerfuffle. Um, my guess, and this is a guess, I have no insights, but based on if I, if I connect the dots, I have a feeling that the new team is going to be, uh, is going to have to accept, deal with Jack as far as the surgery question goes and have to be okay with how things go. But from everything that seems to be out there, he could be traded before the draft. I would imagine though, John, that any trade uh, before before there are any, any finality to it, that obviously you have to pass your physical, but th- right. those, those things are usually done, you know, the trades announced and then you have your physical. I could see it obviously being the other way around where the team gets a chance to take a look at Jack and then decide what they want, what they would do in that situation before they even contemplate finalizing anything. I, I, I agree. I, I think there's going to be a, a lot of back and forth when it comes to, you know, medical decisions and, and, and seeing what the results of these tests were and what medical opinions are from Eichel's doctors, from the, the team, the, the potentially acquiring team's doctors. So you're going to have to do your due diligence on this. But the belief is that this, the, this issue, even though it's a herniated disc, can be is is can be corrected and 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 Jack can play for quite a long time without this being a recurring issue. From what from what I've read, I mean, you've got this MMA guy who had the same procedure, and he's still out there. So you know, I I'm not a medical doctor. I can only go by what I've been reading. 
it's uh, it's similar, I think, to when a, a team is trading somebody uh, they're in a contract standoff with. The other team's going to want to negotiate the contract before the trade. You know, yeah. what's it going to take? They don't want to trade for a guy and then find out what it's going to cost. And the same, same thing with Jack Eichel. They don't want to acquire him and then find out how long he's going to be rehabilitating or maybe they agree with Jack Eichel's uh, second, third, fourth opinion or whatever the, the replacement disc doctor was. Maybe they agree with it and say, fine, go ahead and do it. Um, I agree. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it should be that big of a hurdle when you consider a lot of information is sort of out there on this because Jack um, wasn't real shy about it. And I would say most team doctors, while they haven't looked specifically at Jack Eichel's neck injury, a lot of them talk, a lot of industry professionals, uh, people at the top of their profession talk. And I'm sure it's not the first that a team doctor in Anaheim or LA or New York has heard of this procedure and thought about what they would do in that situation. It may be as simple as, you know, getting some of specific test results that Jack's had done to get a look at it, but it's, it is a somewhat unique injury. It is somewhat, you know, out of outside of the norm from what these guys see every day, but also if they're competent at their jobs, they've, thought about and studied and considered a lot of things. So I think they should at least know, Hey, you're not, if if this is where this guy's at, we're not talking about a guy that's going to play three more years. Uh, You know, all that with the caveat that they would of course want to look at what he's dealing with and, you know, see how, how the neck looks and, and, you know, whatever tests that they need to do, but it shouldn't be some mysterious thing that, completely torpedoes a trade or his value. And I don't think Kevin Adams should accept that. He shouldn't accept any sort of discount because Jack Eichel has a neck injury that he will likely recover from and, you know, play a long time, you know, and still have a a productive career. What if the team doctors from the Kings or the Ducks or whoever team is considering trading for Jack Eichel have the same opinion that the Sabres doctors have and don't agree with Jack Eichel and his, camp about the next course of treatment would a team want to just inherit that situation or does the part of the trade have to be a team that is on the same page as Jack Eichel as to how to go forward with this that that's where we might learn more about Jack Eichel and and I say might uh, because what happens if like you say Jonah and he said and um, the LA Kings uh, want to trade for Jack Eichel, but they want him to do the same rehab that the Sabres doctors insisted on. And then we hear Jack Eichel say, okay. Yeah. Well, if the team is winning games, do you trust the doctors more or is that related? Or he just all? wants out. It doesn't matter. Whether they're winning I mean, the LA losing. Kings aren't winning games. Yeah. Just put me somewhere and I'll, I'll do what you want. I don't want to do it. Th- this is his, this is part of his leverage. Um, he's using his injury as some sort of leverage. But I do think that if, if, if there's a team that he doesn't want to go to, let's say uh, just I, – I, I don't know, but let's say it's Calgary. You know, I'm, I'm not sure Jack Eichel would enjoy going to Calgary and going across the border and being as far away, almost as far away from his home as he can be and in a different country with higher taxes. But if, if the Flames are all in, they go, we'll do the surgery, and really Jack, uh, Jack has no leverage because he has no trade clause. 
That's well, but maybe that's true. That's true. But I guess as far as he can use it, the surgery or no surgery is his no trade clause. Sure. Perhaps, you know, and I know that maybe, yeah, it is. I will go to you and not have the surgery is basically his waving of his, his faux no trade clause. Like I think the New York Rangers, he dropped, he surgery, what surgery? What? I'm there. Or if you trade me to someplace I don't want to go, I will still insist on the surgery. Right. Uh, Yeah. I think that he's, he's kind of man. Well, I don't want to say manufactured. The guy is legitimately hurt. The Sabres aren't disputing the fact that he is injured. Um, So, uh, but anyway, it does create, um, it creates a, a power dynamic for Jack Eichel. It gives him something to use and lessens his trade value because the Sabres aren't going to be able to get as much in return, theoretically. I think it depends. Like, John brings up Calgary. You know, what if Calgary says, great, you can have the surgery. Then the leverage flies out the window. Right. Well, that's right. What, yeah, that's what John had mentioned. In, in, in theory. But it doesn't totally fly out the window because if the, the basic premise is that Jack Eichel is a disgruntled player that needs to be appeased and made happy, even that might not solve all, all of the issues. If he's not happy about being traded to Calgary, that drops his value because Calgary says, well, you know, are we really going to sell the farm, give up these picks and and these prospects for a guy that is going to be angry that he's here and cause us the same problems that he's caused the Sabres. So I, I don't know. It's, he's put himself in a pretty interesting spot. He definitely has created some leverage in some way because he had none. And so, it, I mean, he has no movement clause or he doesn't have the, the no trade clause yet. It hasn't kicked in. So I think there, there is some leverage there and the leverage is now, it could potentially hurt the Sabres. On, on the flip side, though, one of the problems that are frust- that is frustrating Jack Eichel is his, that he hasn't won. He might not be – He Calgary may be the lowest team on his list or, say, Winnipeg or what have you, but whatever lowest team is on his list, he, there, there, there's leverage working against him as well because he has to play. He has a – he's – established rightly or wrongly a reputation of about being a bit of a me first guy and a guy who hasn't won. So him going to another team and starting this thing all over again, only, you know, fulfills the narrative. And I think Jack Ego is driven by the, by, by the want to win has realized he can't do it here in Buffalo for a variety of reasons. And I think he needs to win wherever he goes next. I think he needs to prove himself as a winner. I think also, and I'm not comparing the players because I think in their polar opposites in so many ways, but I think to Matthew's point, uh, the idea of going somewhere you don't want to be and sulking and then, you, and then the Calgary Flames, we're just using this as the example, the Calgary Flames then have a problem on their hands uh, or it's not LA Anaheim or a team that's out West that uh, in a good, the Arizona Coyotes, the, the Florida Panthers, a team that's not very good um, but is in a good place and you can find other ways to really like it. Um, so, uh, and again, I said, I'm not comparing these guys. It's not apples and apples. I've heard Calgary is a very but nice place. For it is. Worth. It is. Yeah. Actually. But when the Sabres acquired Chris Drury, he was not happy about it. Right. 
I think that there is a inherent belief with every team that when we get the guy, we're going to show him that we're the place to be, regardless of how shitty you are. I think there's has to be some sort of at least pride within your organization that, yeah, but when he gets here, he's going to see what we're about. He's going to buy in, um, you know, LeSean change of change scenery is exactly what he needs. You know, McCoy, we're going to give yeah. him what he needs. And so that LeSean doesn't necessarily McCoy was mean. upset that the bills on the yacht again, right. traded for him and he came around, um, you know, eventually it took a, a lot more bit. money. He needed to took some money. It raise. took, uh, but I do think, yeah, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, the, these hypotheticals and who's got what leverage and who will exercise what leverage. A lot of it boils down to the essential question of like, how difficult is Jack going to make it to trade him? And there, there's a lot, like John mentioned, there is a narrative, I think, at least in part, Jack has earned uh, that he is on the outside looking in at Buffalo, Jack Eichel is a disgruntled player. He's not just quietly going about his business and dealing with a lot of messy stuff with, with the Sabres. He is upset and he seems to be asking his way out. If he's not that type of guy generally, I mean, the circumstances here have been awful and might make anybody that way. He might say, Calgary wants me. They'll let me have the surgery. Cool, whatever. Anywhere but here. It might be that simple for him. Uh, if, As John mentioned, I think what probably matters most to this guy, and this is, I don't know him personally, uh, you know, but, you know, watching him and in interviews and watching him play, it seems like winning would be at the top of his list. And I bet he feels he would have a better chance of winning almost anywhere else at this point. And I don't think that would be an unpopular opinion around the league. So I'd be, I'll be curious to see, I guess, how difficult he makes it because if he wants out that badly, it shouldn't matter whether it's Calgary or Arizona or LA or New York, or sure. You'd like to pick your destination, but you're not in that position. You're not Taylor Hall. Uh, you don't get to right. choose. Um, you don't have that clause in your contract yet. So uh I guess that will, that will be a big part of these discussions. I would think now we should also point out that some of the teams that have, that have been floated, it's not Calgary. That's probably a hypothetical that may not exist, but you know, LA Anaheim, I don't know how well positioned those teams are to win, but they're in California and, you know, it's kind of a nice place to be. And, you know, I think New York has been kind of a, a spot that he's, uh, been connected to a lot, um, you know, some former teammates down there and um, pretty close to home, uh, closer to home than here. So as long as it's a place, there's probably a happy medium, I guess is what I'm saying, between the teams that are interested and the, they're not going to have to banish them to Siberia because there's going to be some other suitors that'll offer competitive packages. Well, as, as I look at it, I mean, I can't think, and, and this is how far the Sabres have fallen, because we talked about this with the coaching search, I can't think of a team that's a worse place to come to as far as reputation goes right now, given the how tumultuous this history's been over the 10 years than Buffalo. I just think this might be the least, it might be the most inept franchise right now as we speak in, in the NHL, even though there is some upside to it with some of the pieces that they have. 
Uh, but at this point, it might be at its lowest. Teams that were mentioned by Pierre Lebrun were Los Angeles, the Kings, Minnesota, Anaheim, Columbus, Philadelphia, and the Rangers, among others, he says. Um, of those, all are an upgrade, I would say. You know, I, I think, I don't know, I guess as, in terms of destinations, Columbus may not be uh, the most geographically attractive. Uh, no offense to the Ohio native steering this ship. Um, Minnesota's cold, but it's, it's a hockey town. It's a, a good place to play. Philadelphia is kind of a mess, but, you know, a, a franchise where, where people care and they've at least been mildly competitive. The other places are pretty good geographic uh, landing spots. So provided it's not the Sabres saying, let's find the, you know, forget the return we're going to get. Let's find the lousiest destination for this guy. Screw this guy. <laughs> we're going to send him to the team that has the best, you know, combination of a bad place to live and a bad team. You know, as long as that, that's not the case. I don't well, the Senators have sur surpassed the Sabres, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. Do the Sabres I mean, think about trading him to the Western Conference so that if he does revive his career, at least they don't have to, you know, see him as often and compete with him for the playoffs? They can just see him when he's drinking Guinness out of the cup, you mean? Yeah. Like their old pal, Ryan O'Reilly? I mean, yeah, in theory, you'd probably prefer to trade him West, but I don't think that's as important as, you know, like the Packers situation with Aaron Rodgers where they want to make sure they damn sure they don't see him until uh, I don't know that if a better, if there's a better offer in the Eastern conference, I say trade him in the Eastern conference. I don't think, I don't think it should be that important, but it if might the Sabres can get Rodgers. That might be a good, a good swap. Jack, I John, before we let you go, uh, how about handicapping the uh, conference finals in the NHL for us, uh, starting with the series that you're working on? I'm very impressive at, at, at pr impressed at how the Canadians responded, um, you know, uh, last night with that win. Um, it took some doing because they were outplayed in the second period and for much of the third. But it shows that the Canadians are better than, I think, advertised entering the playoffs and perhaps how they – as, as, as inept as Toronto and Winnipeg were um, during those series, I think Montreal might deserves being considered the best team out of, out of Canada because they're the most complete team. They've got Carey Price playing really well. I still think things favor Vegas. Um, I think they've got a better team on paper, but better teams have lost to the, um, the Canadians. So I'm curious to see how they respond in Montreal for game three uh, Friday night. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's turned out to be an interesting series because it's not going to be a sweep. Um, I, so so I, I like that. There, there's going to be some there's – some, there's, there's some juice to it now, given the fact that the team, the heavily favored team, now has to prove itself. What about the other series? Oof. I, I, you know, as much as you respect the Islanders for what they've done – and you like them as, as this lunch bucket of a team, you really have to put, put, take your hat off for, to the Tampa Bay Lightning because given the run they had to go through last year to win the cup inside a bubble 
And the fact that they're, they're, well, they're not in a bubble now, but the fact that they're playing with such resilience, it's an overused word, but this team does not back down. And you really have to respect guys like Kucherov and, and Hedman and Vasilevsky for playing and Brayden Point for playing at such high levels on, on such a consistent basis. I know Kucherov, there's the whole thing that, you know, he had the surgery and missed, it should be fresh because he, he, he missed the season. But we're just seeing how good of a player Kucherov is and what he means, means to hockey. We're all wowed by Nathan McKinnon in Colorado, but Kucherov has proven himself to be a winner. And I – Victor Hedman, if you if, if you like old time hockey, Victor Hedman, I think can play in any any era. I I like the Tampa Bay Lightning. I like both those teams. I'm not I, actually, and I like the Islanders too for other reasons. The Islanders might be better positioned if Anders Lee, their captain, would be playing because he provides a leadership and physical presence. Um, I'm not going to handicap that series, but I like both teams. Um, I just like both teams. It, it, it's, it's so impressive to watch how the Lightning responded and how the Islanders opened that series. Any other questions for John Warrow, boys? What exactly is a lunch bucket? Blue collar. They got is that, the as a, is that the same as a lunch pail, a lunch box, a lunch bucket? Well, lunch no bucket, lunch pail. Okay, sorry. I'm not very good at the whole cliches. Fairbury, you ever eaten at Huckle Buckets? Uh, I like it. They serve everything in buckets. <laughs> well, they have Clutterbuck. I'm gonna yeah, look lunch do. bucket. That might John might have invented lunch bucket and lunchbox, lunch pail. I think that's all the same. Maybe it's a Canadian yeah, it thing. Like I don't know. But imagine a bucket, though. You know, like uh, <laughs> right. That's what I pictured when he said it. With a bunch it. of food in it. It's I could one of those things that people to only say said. in that phrasal way. You know lunch pail type lunch bucket type you're never like oh you know i forgot my lunch bucket at home well i'm gonna give john some credit here i just looked it up on merriam webster lunch bucket has an actual definition it's a hyphenated word lunch bucket of relating to or possessing working class values that is how you describe the new york islanders i've just i was the whole time john was talking i was just picturing a lunch bucket like john's got his sandwich it's a bag of chips a snack a drink all in a bucket walking in the box yeah, all into the, the press box. What about well, what what is a brown paper bag, a persona? What would that that's be? What I took, what that's what I took to high school every day. You're a drunk. Well, that's if there's yeah, a there's, bottle. There is what if your lunch is in the brown paper bag. You're poor. I don't know yeah. if that's entirely true though. Frugal. Yeah. You're well, you're streamlined. Pro environment. You don't want to use plastic. You're efficient. Or you can't afford a lunch bucket. Or you're too cool for a lunch bucket. Or you just want to streamline your operation like the Buffalo Sabres and be more efficient. Fewer. It means you have eight scouts with the brown paper bag mentality. Paper bag All right, guys. Uh, this has been a good show. I'm happy I redeemed myself from the last one. Last show was a train wreck. It sure was. It went down as the, it still is the worst show of, of, of Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. And it was not John's fault. It was just a technological mess, false starts. Um, I tried I to play that a video show. that didn't work. Um, I think I spent maybe half the show misrepresenting something that I had to correct at the end. I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember it being a. All I know is we saved folly. this one. 
We saved this one because for a second we were about to be derailed by sunscreen conspiracy theories. And now we managed to pull it back into, there's probably a lot of people that turned it off at that point. But, you know, for those who probably, stuck with us. You probably I think put they, a disclaimer at the beginning that says we're not qualified to give medical advice. <laughs> Jonah, did you learn all about your um, SPF and sunblock um, did you get all your, all your um, information while investigating whether or not shampoo is good for you? Uh, it, was similar... points, it was different points in my life when I was researching shampoo and when I was researching sunscreen, but there's some parallels into how the cosmetic industry and big business and all these plastics and things that go into all these products that you can buy in stores are all maybe not natural and not good for us. For those I use the bar. New- I use the Lush bar. I don't use the uh, shampoo, actually. Yeah, it looks and, great. And your hair looks much different, also than the last time you were on. You've since gotten a haircut and a shave. Um, but for those who are new listeners to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, or maybe you just happened to miss those episodes when we discussed it, the shampoo references uh, into uh, uh, goes lends itself to. Uh, the fact that Jonah Bronstein is a no poo um, believer. Where do you He's stand an anti pooer. Where do you stand on deodorant, Jonah? Oh, that's a complicated one because I've read a lot about how you shouldn't use the deodorants with aluminum, but there's really never been, there's a lot of studies about how it could be bad for you or theories, but there haven't been a lot of cases where people have actually gotten. Maybe there have, but and there's a difference. It should be noted. I think deodorant's okay for you. It's antiperspirant, that right? Is- but there's also like how many people do you know that got cancer from their deodorant? I mean, there, there's it's sort of like a theoretical thing that never really came to fruition. How can we know? Because everybody uses deodorant. It's not like right. So we'd all be dropping stay- dead, right? Yeah, everybody uses deodorant, so you, it's hard to pinpoint that. Or deodorant. probably. Back in the day when we didn't have deodorant, when, when the world didn't have deodorant, people were dying earlier. Yeah. I've tried to go no to sunscreen the back then either and found that I just couldn't do it. it. And it's more about sweating and your skin feeling, you know, irritated. Yeah. You got to be careful with antiperspirants that have aluminum in them because the aluminum will clog your pores. And uh, there's a reason you need to. Uh, eject some of that stuff from your body. So all sounds like a bunch of quasi-science. When Tim told me once that spinach isn't that good for you, which... That's right. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a conspiracy. Hmm. Popeye. It was well, pushed by Popeye, the guy. All, all vegetables are bad for you. How about that hot take? That sounds like a Bryson DeChambeau take. Well, here's he the he doesn't eat vegetables. The vegetables, the plants have formed, have evolved to be inedible. They like create their own poisons and anti-nutrients to keep people from eating them. And some of the reasons why like fiber is an indigestible nutrient. So plants actually created themselves to, they don't want to be eaten by animals and people. I'm not sure if we can verify anything Jonah has said (laughs) in this episode. Fascinating theory though. I, like I, I would just like to establish that. That <laughs> I feel not... like we we found a way to tap into a totally <laughs> uh, a totally underserved demographic 
previously on this podcast, people who would listen and say, I hate these MFers now might listen and say, ah, I'm kind of starting to like this Bronstein guy. Well, also, here's the thing, because like there's a lot of people that listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. If you're like, if you like listening to crackpot theories on Joe Rogan, we got a little bit of that on our show for you this week, too. Good tagline. Jonah's our Joe Rogan. Yes. Fear factor. <laughs> All right. My thanks to our uh, in-house conspiracy theorist, Jonah Bronstein, who also thinks OJ didn't do it. But I'm about 60-40 on that. That he did or did not? Mm, I go back and forth on which one's the 60 and which one's the 40. But I can hold two competing thoughts in my head about that. I would, we could do a whole show on that, on the alternative OJ theories and which ones I think have some merit and which ones don't. Maybe we can get OJ on to give his opinion. He probably can. Although I don't know if that were the topic, <laughs> I would, he might not agree to it. Um, so my thanks to Jonah Bronstein for bringing it this episode. Uh, to Matthew Fairburn and to John Worrell for joining us from Canada, uh, where he is covering the Canadiens Golden Knights series for the Associated Press. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic. Thank you for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. We'll